Welcome to the Movement Minutes with your host, Reed Nellis. Here, we pursue the human connection. We learn how to empower one another. We discuss clinical pearls. We discover our passions. We reflect on our capacity to achieve. We remain open to novel trends and concepts because regardless of our backgrounds or experiences, our successes or failures, we all speak the same language, human movement. All right, you guys, welcome. On today's podcast, we've got guest Dr. Bo Beard. Bo is an avid runner, an avid outdoorsman, environmental enthusiast, uh, a curious mind, and a forever learner. And he also owns a facility called The Farm, Functional Athletic Rehabilitation and Movement. I know it's a handful, but I love that name so much so that you'll find out I almost stole it, actually. Uh, But he's down in Birmingham, Alabama, and throughout his entire learning career, he's taken a plethora of courses. He has just about as many little names behind his name, aside from doctor, that somebody could dream of. CSCS, SFMA, FMS, TPI, uh, DNS. I mean, he's, he's got them all, FRC. Um, but throughout this learning and this forever expansion of his knowledge bank, he's developed an ability to convey this not only to his patients and clients that he works with at the farm, but on his channels, on his YouTube, on his podcast, on via TED Talks, which we'll get into today. So I hope you guys enjoy today's conversation. We end up talking a little bit about hunting, a little bit about parenting, um, a little about breathing and nature and what this uh, whole human approach has to deal with our environment around us and how we are a part of this um, biology that we live in. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. I know I sure did, as always. Um, I could pick this guy's brain for hours, but please join me in welcoming Dr. Bo Beard. All right, you guys, welcome back. We've got uh, Dr. Bo Beard, Bo the Man Beard, um, is how he's booked into my schedule. Uh, but Bo, we just heard the intro. Tell us a little bit more about what we need to know. Who is Bo? So, well, you know, we don't have enough time for that, but uh, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, my wife and I, Sloan, run the farm. Uh, it's a mouthful of functional athletic rehabilitation and movement. Uh, yeah, it's a, you know, it's like what we all do sports chiropractic clinic, a little bit of performance, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, making humans better humans. I mean, I don't want to, you know, sound overconfident, but you know, if the X-Men were going to go to a chiropractor, it'd be us. So, um, yeah, we do that. And, you know, we have our daughter Maddox, nine months old. We got two dogs that, uh, love them or hate them. They live with us. And yeah, that's what we do, man. I will say having a dog with a kid makes cleanup a lot easier. You know what? She's just now sitting in the high chair. I thought the same thing. It's like our dogs are either like think they're on like a champagne like budget. They're just like, mm, and the kid kind of touched now. They're a little I'm snooty. Like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. So we're not getting that luxury. So we get all of the, the bad parts of the dogs, none of the good stuff that you're getting. Oh. So we love them. Yeah. Time for time for a new dog. Add one more to the pack, right? <laughs> not a um, so you just mentioned your your business, the company. You're the yeah. CEO and co-founder with your wife there, the farm. Um, mm-hmm. A, it is a mouthful because every time I try to like tell somebody about it, because um, you'll hear why in a second, uh, I'm like functional and rehabilitative movement, functional athletic. <laughs> re- it's the farm. I don't know. It's the farm. Um, but I honestly, like I must have way back, like four or five years ago, um, stumbled across you somehow. And it like stuck in my brain, just the name, the farm, because then when I went to open Minnesota movement, I was like, God, the farm sounds really cool. And I 
I'm like, but where have I heard that before? <laughs> and then I looked at it. So I almost stole it hey. subconsciously. It wouldn't have been a conscious thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't jab you like that, but um, I love that name. And it, it really, if you break it down to the actual words, truly defines what you guys do. Make people better people and make more X-Men badasses, right? So Yeah. Well, and what's funny is it, it was originally functional athletic rehabilitation and medicine. And the Alabama State Board didn't like medicine. But yeah, I can't imagine. Movement's a much better fit. So it actually it was kind of like one of those like, oh, yeah, we'll change it. No problem. This is better. Yeah, I think Thank you. That's kind of one of the decisions in hindsight. We are like bummed the minute they say that. But now looking back on it years ago, yeah. you're like, I think this is a good decision. Yeah. Like, thank you, State Board. Yeah, I appreciate exactly. It. You just <laughs> saved me a little bit of headache there. So um, so let's talk about this. So you got into chiropractic. Uh, you can read your bio, uh, thefarm.com or whatever you guys' website is. Um, but you broke your femur at a young age. You mm-hmm. went through a lot of rehab at a, a crucial chiropractor that you had worked with at that time. And that's kind of what got you interested in the chiropractic realm and healthcare as a whole. But what other influencers did you have to get you to where you are today? Yeah. So to not correct that story, but add the timeline, like I didn't, they didn't have me do any rehab after I had surgery. So I had a intermedullary titanium rod put in my leg and I was only the 10th kid of that age class to have it in the U S and they just kind of, I'm guessing, assumed that the surgery would be okay. Right. Like, Oh, it'll be fine. He's young. So I did no rehab. It was like four years later getting into high school sports that, um, you know, met a sports Cairo that was an Olympian. And she was like, what is up? Like, cause I went in for a sprained ankle and she's like, what's all this other stuff? Like, why is your hip like this, all that? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And, uh, you know, knowing what I know now, it's like, what were they doing? Just letting a kid roll out of the hospital after two weeks and say, see you later. Like, you know, you'll be fine. So that was that you know, paired with awesome rehab from the Cairo that I met, like made me think like, man, I want to make sure that never happens to anybody again, you know, especially yeah. a youth athlete, like they're, I mean, I, I ended up fine. I mean, besides what my wife thinks is wrong with me, but, um, can't fix you know, that. Yeah. Not a chance, nobody in the world. Um, but besides that, I mean, you know, it just, all these things fell into place. My best friend that's a year older than me, we went to high school together ended up going to Logan, which is where I went to school in uh, Chesterfield, Missouri. Uh, so he was always, you know, right ahead of me, like just got out of undergrad and then he, he's talking about what he's doing. Then he's in Logan talking about what he's doing. Uh, so that was a huge influence. And, you know, just being around athletics, I mean, a lot of people for undergrad that go to PT or Cairo school, you know, or kinesiology majors, whatever. I was a business major, but I was always extremely active. I was an athlete and I just, you know, I went out and worked for a few years after undergrad and Cairo school was always in the back of my mind, but the debt scared me or scared me. Um, so once I kind of realized after working in the business world, multiple facets across the U S I was like, man, it's still kind of like, you know, spurning me to go do this thing. So that's why I got into it. It was just me at the end of the day being like, that's, which I'm glad that I took my time, you know, that I didn't get into it. And then all of a sudden it's, man, I don't want to do this thing. Cause there are some people that get into our profession that are like, Hmm, for sure. not what I, not what I thought it was, you know, for sure. And I think, um, our profession, chiropractic, it doesn't do it. I don't know about Logan, but I've taught at a bunch of these schools and I've spoke with people like you from other schools. And I think it's pretty synonymous across all the schools in the nation, U.S. alone, at least. A, they don't set you up for business. And B, the attrition rate is probably just as valued as it should be. Meaning there's a lot of people who get in who aren't cut out to do what is necessary to make a live, not only make a living, but help people and succeed in it with, with or without the money there, right. To pay back student loans. Right. And 
unfortunately, the attrition is not just, oh, yep, go back. Here's your money back. It's, yeah, you can quit whenever you want, but now you're in 50 grand, 60 grand, 70 grand, 180 grand. Like, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's, it is. It's and, and I think that, I mean, but I think that's more pervasive in any profession now, right? Kids kind of are just like, man, I go to college. I don't know what skill set I get. I get a degree. And, you know, that's where I tell all of our, whether it's an undergrad intern, intern more so than an extern that's towards the end of their Cairo, you know, schooling. Like you need to go look at the complete opposite of what do you think you want to do in this profession. So if you think you want to do what I do, you know, kind of the rehab sports chiropractic, you need to go as weird as it may seem, go spend a day in an, you know, apply kinesiology office or, you know, um, a high volume office. You need to see the other side because you're going to have to deal with that, whether you like it or not, in some facet for the next three and a half, four years during school, right? You're going to get things thrown at you don't like, and you don't want to close your mind, but you also want to be aware of like, Eh, I, I need to know what the whole gambit is. So I don't 100%. feel like, Oh, this is chiropractic. And then you're like, Oh, wait a minute. It can be a thousand things. Exactly. Um, I think that I 100% agree with you on that. And when I was going through my chiropractic school, I knew what I wanted my end goal to be. And I almost had to prove myself wrong kind of thing or mm -hmm. prove myself right. I guess you could call it. And I purposely sought out internships that were in applied kinesiology and, and in high volume, um, so that I could see what the other side of the world was like and a make sure that I wasn't missing out on anything that I, I could miss out on uh, professionally, but B there is still learning moments that can happen with something that you don't want to get into. And um, I mean, a lot of my marketing stuff came from those clinical experiences. So I like that. The other thing that you mentioned, which I do want to talk about is you were a, a marketing major. Mm -hmm. what yep. uh what did you get into after school so yeah i i started out so again i, I feel like i'm always telling these stories like i'm 50 years old that's or why you're on the podcast dude you yeah. have stories um i started out pre-med and i lived with my sister in alaska every year in between the summers of undergrad um and she was a drug rep for novartis so i got to see the like golden years of drug reps when they could still like spend money on doctors and take them on lavish trips and stuff well we lived in alaska so it was like right up my alley take doctors fishing and hunting and all this stuff and i was like oh you if you get a science degree and you know how to sell you can like make a ton of money and do all this stuff on the company dime and i was like sign me up right it's yeah. awesome um so i actually did uh I would say uh, it's not really officially an internship, but I spent a whole summer with my sister going to clinics, going on sales calls. Right. Um, and I was like, I'm going to switch from pre-med because I had all the pre, you know, the, you know, science level one classes. I'm going to go into business and understand finance and economics and stuff. So that's why I switched. Um, so I had a minor in biology and a major in marketing. When I got out of school, I kind of, uh, there was legislation passed the year before I graduated with uh, pharmaceutical sales. They can do any of that stuff. And yeah. I was like, oh man, and dream shattered. I, right. Like literally my sister had to, I remember it seems such like just such a nominal thing, but she had a garage full of like pins and notepads and all the swag. She had to like send it to Africa to school because she had to donate it because she couldn't give that stuff away anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I was like, well, what am I going to do? Well, I had a couple of friends that moved to Tampa, Florida. Um, my uncle was a CIO of a health insurance brokerage. Well, I moved down there. Worked my way through the company, became a regional manager, was traveling back to the Midwest where I was from. So it's kind of cool. Um, and got to, you know, a very high level within the first year. But I saw the people in that industry were just extremely unhappy because it, the insurance industry tends to be one that's not one you choose. It's just kind right. of like, I got in here, I'm stuck, I'm going to kind of climb a ladder and make some money. 
And I was like, I'm out. I'm money motivated, but it's not my top motivator. So I was like, I'm right. out. My parents thought I was crazy because I was making really good money on school. So I packed up. Um, I may have chased a girl, but I went to from Tampa to Telluride, Colorado, and um, was the assistant manager of a North Face store and then worked my way into the marketing director position for the ski resort at Telluride, um, which was for the town of Telluride, if you've never been there, it's like 2000 people. And if you're not wealthy moving there, you're never going to be wealthy. No. Even if you have the best job in town and I have one of the better jobs besides being a real estate agent. Um, so as I was there about a year and a half, I started to realize like, man, I like money a little more than I like skiing and I'm going to kind of be living a dirtbag life for a while. So then I moved back up to Alaska full time, worked in a gold brokerage. Um, I was a commodities broker. I sold gold on the stock market after we got it from gold miners, which is a, if you watch the show, show like uh, gold rush or uh, what is it? I don't know the Nat Geo or discovery shows. Like those were all people I dealt with, like literally those really? people. So it was kind of cool. Um, but I worked through there and then I, you know, the spur was the people, which I love them to death. And my, the boss at that gold broker just now passed on as a, she was a fairly young person, but completely unhealthy people. And I yeah. kind of saw the dichotomy between like my lifestyle and theirs. And I was like, you know, again, here's money right in front of my face. And then here's like all the other parts of life. And that's where I pulled the trigger on Logan. I was like, yep, I'm going all in. Let's go do it. Um, moved back to St. Louis in 2009. And that's when I went to Cairo school. Yeah, but I think, I mean, that whole trajectory, that wasn't, like you said, you're full of stories. You feel like you're 50 year old, but you had so many different learning moments that you can now translate, maybe not verbatim exactly into running a business that you do now, but so many of those uh, experiences definitely, definitely, def definitely help you succeed in what you're doing now, right? And well, I that's, think the tough thing is, like you said, Cairo school, even though we have business classes, I'm sure you did, right? You have capstone classes and things like that. Like it, it doesn't prepare you at all. And even really good business school, like I went to one of the top business schools in the US for undergrad, like you don't get prepared. You come out no. and you're kind of like, what am I doing? Well, no matter how much you prepare, it's still like a football game. You can practice awesome. But how do you play? And, uh, yeah you know, there are definitely situational things and scenarios that I learned from, but it was really just life experience, right? I, you know, I was doing a podcast this morning and we were talking a lot about like, well, maybe the stuff that's missing in Cairo school isn't the classroom stuff. It's like the, you know, the people building, the character building right. things yeah, that's missing. Skills. That Yeah. And that's tough, right? Cause the, you're not going to like, nobody's getting a degree in like EQ or like my no. conversational skills, but that's the stuff that actually matters the most when you get out. hundred you know? percent. At the end of the day, everybody's a human and you have to deal with that human side first. I mean, that's the genesis of this podcast. And I feel like those who are listening probably hear me say that way too much on every single episode, but it's true. And I'd love that every guest by their own being has brought that idea up that we're all human first and understanding that emotional EQ or the, uh, their personality on it is, is crucial, right? So marketing degree with a minor mm -hmm. in biology, but since you went uh, full heels in head first into this whole healthcare world, you've racked up dry needling, SFMA, FMS, FRC, TPI, um, CSCS, DNS, yeah. DNS CCSP. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've been around the educational gamut once or twice in a thousand times over, right? That's basically every certification for those who aren't chiropractors or aren't in the healthcare world. That's darn near every certification that you could get that I can think of off the top of my head. 
right? Um, with all that education, A, are you addicted to learning or what? Yeah, I mean, for sure. But I'm addicted to filling in gaps, right? I think that's yeah. the people that want to learn. It's not, you know, some people want to learn to like gather knowledge. Some people want to learn to make sure that they don't falter. And I, I'm that person. Like I know, I realize that you have to fail, but I'm always trying to like have stepping stones that allow me not to fail big. And uh, yeah, I'm just always trying to fill in gaps. I mean, I, I always go back to athletics. Like the best athletes in the world are the ones that actually want to know what they suck at. Right? Yeah. Like those are the people that get better really fast. And like, I'm being I'm game. Yeah. I'm game to knowing like, you know, I'm not very good at that. Okay. Yeah. Well, as, as long as I know how to get better at it, that's cool. When I don't, I get frustrated. And that's what all of us get frustrated with is like, I'm stuck. I don't have an answer. I don't even know where to look. But I think what makes you good at what you do, period, whether that's being a chiropractor, being a husband or being a dad or being a runner, being whatever you want to be that day or putting in countertops, um, is when you get frustrated, you don't just give up, you seek a better way to do that. Like, all right, I did this, I failed. How can I do that exact same thing just this much differently that I might succeed at? Or how might I have to look within myself and say, hey, I'm a freaking idiot. I did that completely wrong and I need to change like a 180 kind of thing, right? Um, so not only clearly addicted to learning and remaining open to things like that, but what I want to pick your brain on is your idea of bastardizing care. And what I mean by that, and this is something that I brought up, this is not something that you have said that you do. I'm just telling you that when I see people like you, I think of you as a bastard in care, meaning yeah, John Snow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you, not that kind of bastard. You were not born from illegitimate parents, I think. I don't know. As far as you know, true. Reed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe we all are. Who knows? Uh, but bastardizing meaning picking and choosing which tool for the right job for the person in front of you. Um, do you feel like with your wide array of tools in your tool bag and educational backgrounds, how does that help you perhaps not to say that it's better or worse, perhaps in comparison to somebody who has one tool? I think, you know, there are skills there in every technique, modality, you know, thought. What I've realized, and we were talking, I had Brett Winchester at the clinic last weekend, and we talked about this a lot. What you actually realize happens when you go do all these things, everybody's saying the exact same thing. It just yeah. seems very different because of how they present it, the nuance. But if you if you stat all of the people down that we all look up to it, like the highest level, Greg Cook, Greg Rose, you know, uh, Andrea Spina, if we put all these people in the same room, they'd argue for about two hours. And after two hours, it would be like a, it'd be, you know, kind of like a, uh, panning for gold, right? The water and the, you know, the silt gets out and all of a sudden it's all the same stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, like, yeah, we're, we're, we're agreeing. Even though they may look very different. That's what I've realized is like, I have all these tools to pull from, but my principles got like ultimately solidified by going and doing all these different things. It's like fundamentals, principles, you know, being really, really good at a few things that are yep. important that aren't necessarily technique based, right? It's like being a good doctor because of these things that's a hard thing to like teach my other doctors or externs, right? Cause you, they're not going to see all that. And then they just see it from me and they think it's my opinion, but it's not really my opinion. I'm trying to be non-biased confirming by saying, no, I'm going to keep exploring stuff to try to break my biases down, which may end up coming to the same answers. And if it does, then I'm, I get sure and sure that's the way I should be heading. Um, but again, if my bias breaks one day off something I've been doing for years, hopefully I have enough like 
humility and uh, motivation to like change, which is kind no, of No, I think, I think your ego is way too big for that to happen 100%. now, right? I mean, oh, there's no way. And yeah, just even in your own intro, I just saw the head grow up with the X-Men conversation just swelled right up, right? Right with the, yeah, Wolverine claws, same yeah, time. exactly. But no, I think uh, what you just touched on kind of, and I don't even know if you meant to do this, is the tool that you may choose for the person in front of you may very well have, and you were kind of saying, you get all these big wigs and these big heads that we have in the industry in the same room. They're going to argue for two hours. It depends on the person in front of you and perhaps not even the tool or the active modality. Cause we're not just doing stuff unto people, right? We're doing stuff with them, but it's the education of how you might deliver that based off of their personality and based off of their educational construct. Cause if the end intent is the exact same, whether you're using a DNS protocol or an FRC protocol, maybe they just grasp and can comprehend the DNS protocol more. And that's the one you choose for that individual. On an interesting thought there to kind of throw a curveball in the whole mix is if you think of, I, I'm sure you've heard the story of Carol Levitt and when he first got into practice, he didn't charge anybody and basically had a free clinic. And the only kind of rule wasn't a rule, but he didn't want you to talk. There was no history. So here you had somebody that knew you know, whether that was intuition or from his mentors that like his palpation skills and his ability to assess movement and your know, muscle tone were like at the peak. And he was like, he knew a way to do that. Like I can see a ton of people for free, right? They'll come see me. They can't talk to me. And I'm only going to go off what I see, not based on what they tell me. So then I a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, again, Brett and I were talking uh, Winchester that what if you took you and me and my other doctors and we all did the exact same thing. How different would it be, right? If we were talking because our personalities playing, but yeah. what if none of us talked and we did the same thing? Would you still get the same results? And again, that's like the impossible question. Yeah. That's honestly, again, if you think about trying to break a bias, like, you know, I think when you get to a certain skill level now, I kind of, you know, you're always aware of, you know, a therapeutic partnership, how you talk to people, you know, things like that. But then you also want to sometimes, just like you may try things you just learned, you try to pull back some of those things. Like you try to pull back your personality. You try to pull back your explanation. You try to pull back your empathy a bit because you're like, I need to see if what I'm doing is actually helping you or if it's just me explaining things away. At least that's my view of it. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to be, and I don't think I am the person that's just supposed to coach somebody into something do some things and no matter what I do, they'd still get down the same path. And I think a lot of, especially students believe that they're like, you know, if we did something right with somebody and we talked to them nice, they understood what we're doing and we explained pain, it'll be better. I'm like to an extent, right? Yeah, for sure. But I don't think you're going to get, you know, the same percentage of people. Well, I don't think you're going to get the same long-term outcomes. And then if you're working with people at a super high level, I think you're really going to have a harder time. Well, and that's why you and I have a job, right? Like, 100%. It's in your name of the business. Like you work with athletes and that doesn't mean they have to be high level athletes. They could be a recreational weekend warrior or in my joke is always like, you know, people are like, well, I'm not an athlete. I'm like, do you squat? And they're like, no, never. I'm like, well, do you poop? Cause if you poop, you squat and therefore you're an athlete in my eyes. Right. But if you're working with these high end athletes or unexplained medical symptoms, chronic cases, difficult puzzle piece cases, which you and I, I think thrive in and, and really have a passion penchant for that whole idea of just doing these things and talking nice and kind of giving a nice little pat on the ass on the way out, it's going to get the 90% people that are mm -hmm. having issues better that will never step in you and I's door. Right. And not to say that we're better than those, but 
we have a, like I said, a penchant for the difficult cases, a penchant for the puzzle pieces, right? So I like that. Um, change of pace here. Let's talk about your, uh, your fame, okay? So you're, you're kind of YouTube famous. You're kind of Instagram famous. Wow, uh, you've got a podcast now. But yeah. most importantly, you are Lululemon model famous. What's yeah. it like walking into a Lululemon store with your wife and she kind of gives you that little, hey, honey, when she sees you up on the wall. She does. I mean, I'll, I'll call her out on this. She, every time we go in, I look over and she's like doing a selfie with the poster. And I'm like, <laughs> it's, like it's like the sixth time. And she's like, but it, yeah. I, um, but it never gets old. You're like, you sleep next to me. You know that, right? <laughs> it's not the same. They it's didn't, the same. they don't edit me in bed. No, every night. no. Thank um, God, right? No, it's, you know, the most interesting thing is I had, I don't even remember who it was. This was just a couple weeks ago. Somebody <laughs> asked me, uh, they sent me a message like, how did you get chosen as a Lululemon ambassador? I'm like, you don't really like do anything, right? Like it's, yeah. you're involved in your community, you're doing something that they respect or they think is cool. So it's kind of when, you know, and yeah, it is a pat on your back, but it's like a testament to what you're doing locally, right? I didn't get picked because like somebody in California knows me, like nobody knows who right. I am, but they're like, man, we like what you do. And that's kind of, you know, sometimes when you're in a business like ours, like I'm lucky that I have Sloan right? And you have a associate, but like, say I was completely on my own or somebody else on their own. Sometimes you get no gratification. You know, you, you chase like, Oh, I, I got that patient better. But like, it can be really like, you know, you're giving your energy away to people and you, you know, maybe you're making some money, but you just don't know how well you're doing. So to get some sort of like, you know, like kind of a gratitude move of like, Hey, we think what you're doing is good for the community. We want to help you do more of that thing. That's all an ambassador is like, yeah. what do you want to do? Let's do more of it. And that's, it's, you know, weird year for it with COVID, um, yeah. but it's still been really cool. I mean, it's cool to have, like you said, that little pat on the back saying like, hey, we recognize this. We appreciate it. We want you to do more and that support to be able to do the things that you're already doing anyways. And you would have mm -hmm. kept pursuing to do anyways. Um, aside from all that fame, which is probably, you know, again, just pumping your head up, right? Pumping your tires. Uh, you got the opportunity to speak for TED Talks. What mm -hmm. the heck happened with that? How'd you get that uh, situation happening? So, um, I mean, there's a lot of TEDx's, you know, the X is the location. So these are the local events. And, uh, I apply, honestly, I applied the year before I did it. So I did it in 2018 and I applied, I can't even, I couldn't even tell you the topic that I applied under. It wasn't what I spoke on. Um, <laughs> but I reapplied actually, you know, where I applied was during the ACASC symposium that I spoke at. So I got done with my talk and I pulled out my laptop and they had just opened up the registration. So I filled out my uh, application that day. Um, riding, riding that high after one talk. Yeah, to another, man. Right? I'm, I'm a pro. I'll just do TEDx. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I applied and got it. And yeah, the talk was uh, titled environmental reflection and really what spurred it. You know, I told the story of when I lived in Alaska, but it was honestly I didn't talk about this at all. It was driving to my dad's house. That's an hour and change north of Northwest of Birmingham. And it's small, like we're talking, it's called Townley. It's not even a town. It's a township. Cause it's like yeah. 200 people. And, uh, I mean, it is just, you turn off the highway and you just, the road is littered with trash and it, you know, and I, this is nothing derogatory, but you see the people that live there, they're, usually obese they smoke they drink too much they don't eat healthy which again that's also part of where they're at and socioeconomic variables but i was like oh there's a huge correlation between like how people view their like effect on the environment and how they treat the internal environment and then how those play off each other back and forth and like that's like if i had my druthers i 
I love seeing patients, but I would try to figure out how to do more of this like tie-in of like, how do you get people to appreciate their environment? And I think you automatically realize like, oh, all these things I do to the environment affect my health. And then the things that I do for my health can affect me. And like, it catalyzes. That's, ex- that's really hard because it's just hard to people to get people to recycle or eat healthy. Right. And that's I mean, it's, like, hard, it's hard enough getting our patients to do like the one to two things we request of them, whether yeah. that's exercises or just like drinking water, like whatever it might be. Right. It's hard enough to do that. Then you start talking about this, especially being in chiropractic, like voodoo, weird humanitarian things. And you're like, huh? And yeah, it's, I can see how that'd be difficult. And that was my one thing, you know, I, I, I don't think I had any regret, you know, I could have very easily hit a home run and spoke about something on movement or running or breathing and been like, and probably honestly would help me professionally much more to be in my wheelhouse. But like, I also don't think that's why I'm here. Like I'm here to kind of say like, this is a much bigger issue. Like I'm not here to solve it, but this is my thought on it. I've helped somebody else. Cool. Um, it didn't blow up. It wasn't huge. It's got like a couple thousand views, but to me, the biggest part of that was that was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done in my life because right. I was just going to say stepping out and like, it was a topic that you are not like getting back to your, your educational background. You're not educated formally in environmental sciences, but you stepped out into something and proposed a question. You didn't have the answer for it, but it was a question and stepping out of your comfort zone with speaking to a crowd that big and like a well-known topic or a well-known, uh, organization. Yeah. When the, the tougher thing was like, yeah, the content was out of my wheelhouse and I very easily could have just got torn down. Like who, who's this chiropractor talking about this stuff? But the harder part was, believe it or not, is like I had not, they, you know, they wean you down the processes off, but that whole thing is memorized word for word, second yeah. for second. You have a 10 second buffer on either side. And, uh, like, I've never, if you told me, Hey, you're going to talk about breathing. I could talk for two days. Right. right. Like just nonstop. Right. You get me up there and like make me memorize it. Like it's like a play. But what I realized is my communication skills cleaned up so much because you realize how much stuff you can cut out like of writing or verbal communication. And that was the coolest part for me because I mean, they tear you apart numerous times through this process. Yeah. And by the end of it, I was like, I literally, I remember talking to someone. I was like, I don't want to do it. Like a month before I was like, I'm done. Like I can't do this anymore. And uh, you know, after you're done, you're like, oh. Thank God. But so glad I did it. And, you know, going back to just something we mentioned before about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, being able to grow, you know, based on like challenge and being able to adapt, like you got to do that stuff. And I'm not saying everybody needs to go do a TEDx, but like find stuff you're scared of and go do it. Like, I don't care what it is, right. That's going to make you grow, whether it's in your profession or just, you know, a race or, you know, apologizing to someone, whatever it is, like find the, the uncomfortable stuff and go after that. For sure. I 100% agree. Um, so you had mentioned this just a couple minutes ago, the ACA symposium was held here in Minneapolis and I can't even remember what year that was probably 2018 or something like that. I think 17. Yeah. 17. I and yeah. Uh, this is where I had a little man crush on Bo start was he started talking about breathing and my little heart eyes just went like thump, 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 thump. Right. Um, you had mentioned vanity comp- compensations with breathing. And that's what kind of like hit me. Like I've heard a billion people talk about breathing, the importance of it and, you know, confirmation bias. I know the importance of it. So somebody's really got to stand out for me to like buy into that. And you had mentioned vanity compensations to breathing of how, you know, society wide, we see an issue with that. And uh, what I want to ask you here is how can the average person or what's the perception to the average person when you kind of mentioned breathing and how it might impact their health? 
I'll bring up a really quick story. So I remember I worked with this uh, executive for Coca-Cola and, you know, and we're talking super high level and he, you know, he does his first visit. He comes in for his second visit and he goes, I'm not going to do the breathing stuff. I was like, what? And he goes, I was sitting in a board meeting. I felt like my gut was hanging out. I felt like everybody was staring at me. I mean, this is the guy that is like making millions of dollars a year, but you can yeah. see how like just changing the perception of how people perceive him, like literally destroyed his confidence. Yeah. So it's, that was one, that was early in practice, but it was huge for me. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, like he would be willing to live in pain. Right. If I told him this is the thing that's going to fix you. He was like, nope, not going to do it. Um, so yeah, I, you know, for the, you know, the everyday normal person. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just subconscious at this point, right? You, you start wearing clothing that feeds this, you, you know, you're at the pool, you're sucking in, you, you know, whatever it is, you look at Instagram and you know, everybody now it's, it's actually kind of popular now, right? A girl yeah. or a guy shows like, Oh, Hey, here's me not sucking in. Here's me sucking in. What's interesting though, is rarely do people talk about function just because a, there's not a huge educational piece to what we see in social media, but like if people understood their body better, that's where these things actually get elucidated. And then they're like, oh, it's not that Bo or Reed is telling me not to wear my suit pants because they're tight and they restrict my breathing. It's the fact that I don't even understand my body well enough to know why I wouldn't wear those in the first place. And I always talk about, you know, I had a patient that got a Porsche and she was like, I've been to the dealership like four times to try to figure out my Porsche. I would give her one exercise, wouldn't do it. Right. And then I finally, one day I was like, you're willing to go learn about this like $160,000 car yet you won't spend like 15 minutes a day working on yourself. And this is the thing you're going to own your whole life. Like right. that Porsche is going to go away. And she was kind of like, mm, yeah. And like, then I thought I hit a home run with that analogy. She's like, no. Um, yeah. Wasn't I, priority, like, right? Yeah. Humans don't come with a manual and I wish they did, but like we're kind of the manual, right. We're trying to inject education and, you know, I always tell my patients, if I die tomorrow, hopefully you learn something to continue down the path, right? It's not just like I did something to you, like you said, and then you just go about your business. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I realized why he was trying to get me to do that, right? And it changes your whole perception. 100%. Um, the other thing that you just touched on is the feeling aspect of it, right? If that Coca-Cola in, individual could feel, because we, we think like when there's a breathing dysfunction, there's a disconnect, right? They can't use their functionality or their inherent uh, efficiency or effectiveness adequately, right? There's an aberrant breathing problem. But then that same individual who has this aberrant breathing problem diagnostically or whatever it might be can have such a, a feeling of last loss of confidence by something as stupid as like breathing during a board meeting for five minutes. If they can feel that, but they can't feel how their breath impacts their health, it's just kind of mind blowing to me to like... It, and, and then if they come to your office and say things like that, where they just don't have that buy-in, it's like, well, you just felt this and you're telling me this, but you can't feel that. And you don't recognize that. It's kind of a disconnect for me. So interesting. Uh, but how many, how many people though are completely, I mean, a lot of people talk about this are don't even know what like feeling, not just okay. feels like, like feeling good. Like they honestly don't know. So then we think dude, somebody comes into our office and we're like, you know, what's going on? They have like 10 complaints, We're like, oh, geez, like what's going like chronic pain patient. And then we're like, oh no, like they just, these things feel like shit. This thing's the worst. They just live with this stuff. And then we're like, 
you know, I'll jump into functional medicine talk or health, like they don't even understand where I'm coming from. Cause they don't understand that like, Oh, these things, like I can explain that they're all correlated. They work together. They honestly don't care because they don't even know that they feel like shit. Right. It's the, it's standard. And like, that's the hard thing for us as physicians to conceptualize that you're talking to somebody that has no clue what the other side of the coin looks like. Something to consider. And I, you hit that right on the head and I love it. And I'm not going to expand on that any further. You probably feel pretty good on a day-to-day basis. I do think you ever, I hope you, so. <laughs> exactly. And that's the weird thing is like, I always wonder, like, I feel pretty darn good. I've had a plethora of broken bones, traumatic brain injuries. Like I've had my fair share of like pathological or issues. Right. But I think I feel pretty darn good most days. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I've got a two and a half year old who beats the crap out of me. So I, I get my <laughs> bumps and bruises, but like, I always wonder, could I feel this much better? And like, what are the things that I'm missing? And that's where I go to seek answers for it. But I, I realize I'm the weirdo in the situation. Not all patients and clients are like that. I mean, sure. They seek you out for basically to confirm their bias. And if yeah. you tell them something <laughs> differently, it's a very rare patient that if you tell them like they're wrong, that they're going to be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Tell me how, tell me what's right then. That's not the general case. So, um, with that being said, how do you integrate with that kind of patient in mind? How do you integrate breathing? I don't want to like take away your trade secrets or anything, Bo's breathing one one Um, but how does that education standpoint come from on a patient to therapist basis? I mean, me coming from, you know, we talked about all the, you know, classes I've done and stuff like that. Like I still look at everything through a DNS perspective because it makes the most sense to me. Right. It's just that, um, I was actually talking to, uh, Steve Capobianco about this the other day. Like it, it, it makes the most sense of like, you know, developmental kinesiology and central stability and like how I could take somebody from pain and pathology all the way to performance in this one kind of concept, right. That's mm-hmm. just based on things that we all did. Right. So it kind of is like, Oh, whether it's actually true or not, isn't hundred percent confirmed. Right. That's the whole thing. But Everybody in our office, you know, probably just like you starts with like, Hey, can you, you know, breathe a certain way? Like we are also like, you know, I talked about this in the thing, like, how do they speak? You know, what's their intonation? Do they run out of breath when they're speaking? Um, do they have a history of asthma, you know, going to any, all these things matter to me because breathing is the only thing that can be uncontrolled, right? You're completely unaware of, but also controlled. There nothing else in the human body of autonomic nature that you can turn the switch on and off like that, that also has a feed forward and uh, like backwards mechanism on your physiology, right? Like if you talk about anxiety, like how you breathe can make you anxious. Being anxious doesn't always result in different breathing. And I think when you start getting people to realize these things, that's really like, Oh, like I never, I've, a, I've never been told that. And then they think yeah. different. And that's where I never want to tell somebody something. I want them to think different, right? Yeah. Like I, I end almost every new patient visit with everything that mm. I said is up to, for conjecture. Like this is the information we know today. This is what we think is going on. This is what we're going to have you do. We got to see what happens and anything that doesn't make sense to you. I want to know, or, you know, come back at me with questions. Like it's, this is a dialogue and a learning experience for both of us. A hundred percent. I think, you know, I always, at the end of every email that I send patients, so I send an email after every visit to patients and I'm like, Hey, if you have any questions, let me know. And on that very first visit, I tell them like at the end of this email, it's going to say, Hey, if you have any questions, let me know. And that's not just a closure of an email. Like I, I, I couldn't bold italicize and underline that more to make it make sense. Like if you have any questions or reservations or even ideas that you want to explore, bring them up. Cause we're in this mm-hmm. together. Right. Um, you had mentioned the idea of 
breathing and being so basic and something that we can can control and not control. And something that I picked up along the way is a vicious cycle. And we can have good vicious cycles, right? If we breathe like crap, we feel like crap. And if we feel like crap, we breathe like crap. That's a vicious cycle. But if we breathe better and not even like every breath you take, every breath you take. I, was say. I can't say that. It's like <laughs> stupid. It's like dad jokes, right? Like you've got the chiropractor jokes where somebody's like, oh, that hurts so good. I'm like, oh, like that John Mellencamp song. Yeah. But no, every breath, we're not asking somebody to take every single breath throughout their day better. But sometimes all it is, is just raising that cognizance and that conscientiousness to make them more aware. And even if they never do a single one of your breathing exercises, just having that conversation with them and raising that awareness is going to change a billion things, right? Well, James Nestor's book, Breath, right? I hopefully you've read a really good mm -hmm. one. He brings up probably the most interesting point of how many times in history breathing comes to the like surface, right? And then it dies back down. Yeah. And then it comes to the surface and he goes, you know, he has postulations on why, which are all interesting. They're just conjecture again. But what I would say is, and I don't know who has the quote, but I've used it numerous times, like awareness is curative. And I think that's 99% of what I'm doing, whether it's an exercise, adjusting, right? You'd yeah. be like, well, how's that awareness? Now you're aware that that joint can move a little bit different, right? 100%. Um, like awareness is curative. And then James Nestor would say, our awareness gets so like receded, right? We have no clue what's going on because we're inundated with like the daily tasks, the to-do list, the family of finances, that breathing then becomes so important because it's pulling you back into the, like the thing that again, you're operating through however you want to think about the human body, but it's like, it is your like, you know, edifice into the world. Like this is how we operate. But if you don't even know what this thing like feels like or does, like you're literally, you have no chance of being healthy. Like you, right. you can't be unaware and be healthy. I like challenge me on that. I'll, I'll give you a, a hundred different people that it may take more time because they have good genes or whatever. But if you're unaware of what's going on with your physiology, how you feel, what you do on a daily basis, like you're going to crash at some point. Right? There's going, yes, there's going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back. It's just like you said, at what time and when it's not, it's not if it's when in yeah. that situation. But um, another thing that you're passionate about uh, mm -hmm. both in your endeavors, as well as working uh, alongside and with is running. Uh, you recently launched a online course. Uh, what is it? Uh, rethinking, rethinking running rehab. Yeah, I was going to say it's three R's rethinking yeah. running rehab. Um, how did that come about? Is this a coronation boredom or <laughs> is this something you had in the back of your mind forever? Yeah, it's, uh, I know just the time allowed by Corona allowed me to do this. So, uh, I've wanted for a long time to try to like, you know, students come in and they're like, well, how do I integrate all these things? So like really running was just kind of the, the, I don't know, the example I needed to teach all these things, right? Like, yeah, I love running and there's a lot about running in here, but like this applies to all patient bases, right? Yeah. But what I kind of have taken an approach to is, um, you know, like I've coached runners, I'm a strength conditioning coach, and then I'm a practitioner, I'm a runner myself. 90, you know, percent of running issues, especially youth have nothing to do with injury right? Like a parent brings a kid in they're like, his knees hurt. Can you fix him? I'm like, this isn't an injury, right? He's, this isn't a fix. This is a running issue. This is a, maybe it's a movement issue. Maybe, maybe it's a strength issue, but it's like, if we could somehow create, you know, and running's not necessarily unique, but it's not like a lot of people are like, I only see lacrosse players. And right. then you'd never see adults because adults don't play lacrosse. Running's that thing you that's ubiquitous, right? So 
I just kind of started thinking like, well, what if I treated people more like a running coach? And we talked a lot about like what they're doing, right. And how they go about things and trying to keep them running. And, you know, I'm still treating them, but I don't have to be their coach. They probably have a coach. And then kind of educating them on like why these things are happening to them again, rather than saying, Oh, you were diagnosed with runner's knee. You were told to take two weeks off. You've done PT. You come into me. I could get your knee better and not talk about any of this stuff. You may never have the issue again, if I'm good enough at my job, but at the same time, like what if you show up, you know, six months later with Achilles pain and like, it's on me because I'm like, Hey, we didn't talk about, you know, aerobic endurance versus muscular endurance. And that's kind of what that course was really talking about. Like, I don't think I don't want to be a running coach. I want to be a chiropractor. Yeah. But if I'm going to treat runners, I better sure as shit know how to coach a runner. And that's, that's my opinion. I'm not saying that if you want to treat weightlifters, you have to be a Olympic weightlifting coach. But in my world, I think you need to be able to like, I feel like I could, you know, if Ilya Kipchoge came to me and was like, will you coach me? I think I could, I'm being honest. I don't know if he would get any better because he's already awesome, but I don't (laughs) think I'm going to make him worse. And I think if I could honestly work with them, I may have an impact. And that's maybe my overzealous confidence, but that confidence allows me to say, like, bring me a problem with a runner and I like, I want to tackle it, you know? Right. And I think it, it not even speaks to like the overzealous and confidence aspect of it, but your ability to, to look at yourself in the mirror and sit down and think about things, right? Like you don't have, if you were to come in and say, fix me right now, you might not have the answer right then and there, but you're damn sure going to try your damnedest to figure that out and work with them and be okay with being wrong in that progression of things. And that's not just the elite of the elite, but that's every patient who walks through. You have to be okay with being wrong sometimes and not having the answer every single time and let your patient see that and let them mm-hmm. like see that you're trying your hardest to get them to succeed. I think that's huge. Right. But if you want to be humble, treat, non-elite youth runners nowadays like no thank you i'm telling you try to do that without doing a coaching aspect to it yeah i don't work with youth like (laughs) i have a get out of here no like i education and that soft skills thing like i'm such a brash individual like i need some push and pull and if i can't like swear at a patient um i have a priest who's a or uh, he's a pastor actually but um he's a patient and like i have to I don't like the idea of like changing who I am when I'm yeah. working with somebody. Right. Um, but I, I try to tone it down a little bit in the first like three visits. I was like, Hey, this is who I am. And it's really a challenge to talk to you. And like, I understand like whatever. So I'm like, if you want to go somewhere else, like I totally get it. And I've got a lot of referrals I can give you, but um, it, this is really hard for me. He goes, God forgives us all. Like you can say whatever you want. I'm like, all right, so this shit. And like, so I just started going <laughs> off, but, um, he's still a patient of mine. He's, he's an awesome guy. He's an awesome guy. He, he gets me. So it's awesome. Um, going upon your line of passions. I, I told you we we're going to get into this, uh, mm-hmm. hunting, hunting, fishing. Mm-hmm. Did you grow up with that or, uh, how'd that kind of come about? Yeah. Uh, really young. Um, before my parents got divorced, my dad was really into it. And then, you know, time gets away from people as they get busy. So it kind of was like in my life early and then like middle school, high school was kind of way. I mean, every once in a while, uh, did it, but you know, living where I've lived, like Alaska and Colorado, like you're surrounded by that stuff. And I've always just been very interested in that. And, you know, for a long time I was like, man, I have to work in something outdoors. Like that's just right. where I thrive. But I also realized like that's kind of medicine for me. Like it may not turn it be medicine if it turned to my vocation. But um, yeah, I got more into hunting 
probably towards the end of Cairo school. Um, and then, you know, living in Alabama and I'm lucky to have my dad retire down here and we have land, but, um, that's just another thing for me. Like, you know, it, it's been, a I think a lot when I'm, you know, sitting in a tree stand, you know, if anybody's deer hunter, you're sitting there forever. And I had this thought a couple of years ago, I'm like, man, why aren't hunters like the most healthy people in the world? They spend time outdoors. They're basically getting exercise, walking around the woods, lifting heavy stuff. But then you see the flip side, well, at least where I'm, I'm from central Illinois originally. They're all overweight. They're terribly unhealthy. And it, it was like this weird, again, this flip. And I was like, well, what the hell? But I, you know, if you go out West, totally different story. Like, right. you know, it, people are realized they got to be in shape to hunt. They're in the mountains. So again, environment dictates outcomes. And that's where I was like, man, I'm down here. Yeah. Alabama is always like the second worst state in the nation for like all health, you know, factors. But, you know, again, if I had more time and that's my excuse, I would try to create something that really, you know, like I focus on running, it would focus on hunters. Like, Hey, like you're eating the best food in the world. Yeah. Super but, food. You're, but you're frying the shit out of it and you're, right. you know, smashing bud lights and, uh, you don't do any other exercise except when you climb your tree stand up, you know, 40 feet off the ground. So I, you know, it's one of those things, like I love doing it for a lot of reasons, like the food aspect, connection to nature. Um, but at the same time, I, I would at some point in my career, like to again, tie more of this like outdoor environmental hunting thing all together. And I've tried to do it a couple of times and I always fail just cause I don't think I'm well prepared enough, but at some point down the road, you're going to see this guy show up in like camouflage scrubs, telling people go. like how to train to get their climber, uh, stand to work better and not have low back pain. Yeah. I mean, there's an industry for everything, man, but I think that's a, that's an uphill, like knowing the population of hunters and fishers, <laughs> outdoor yeah. people in general, right. Um, farmers and ranchers too. Yeah. I mean, it's an uphill battle and there's a lot of, well, it worked for my dad and it can work for me. And it's like, I mean, you can't fight toughness on some of those things. And like those individuals are tough as nails and maybe not physically throughout their entire life. Cause eventually they're going to break down from all these injuries and ignoring things, but mentally, holy crap, are they tough? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think you, you touched on it. The, the big thing is just being outdoors and, mm -hmm it doesn't matter. Like I sat out in the deer stand this year and I forgot my phone, my extra shells, which I only needed one, but, um, I forgot basically everything in the, in the truck, but I forgot like my notepad. Like I just sit out in the deer stand and just like write things yep. down. Cause like first thing in the morning, jump in the shower and now with kids and you understand, like you find these moments throughout your day that you have the best ideas. Like mm -hmm. first thing in the morning in the shower, all my ideas for the rest of the day come to me. Like my priority list gets set in the shower. Right. When I'm sitting outside, whether it's in a deer stand or walking the dog or anything, that's, I need to have a notepad on me because I need to write things down. Um, I looked for, I looked for sticky notes that go in the shower. I haven't found them yet. So if you find them, let me know. Cause I, uh, same thing, man. I mean, 3M is just down the road. Maybe I should go sell the idea to them. Yeah. hundred percent. Should we have an entrepreneurship jam sesh? My idea <laughs> is to make Tupperware that has foldable sides. So if you like, not that you'd ever reheat a steak, right. But if you had to cut up a steak inside Tupperware, it sucks. Like even your glass Pyrex things. I'm but with you hundred percent. the sides down. So I'm with this, you on that. This is the first time I've publicly said this. So if this podcast takes off and all of a sudden I see that, I want royalties. Dude, I, royalties. I have the idea for dry fit neckties for basketball coaches so they could use them to wipe sweat off. I sent a letter to Nike, got a letter back from their patent lawyer and says, unless you have a proof of concept, we don't take it. What do you think they got now? 
dry fit really? does. Yep. I'm really I'm so bummed. Yeah. I think I, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I'd be uh, living on a beach, uh, soaking up, you know, margaritas with my soulmate. Uh, the, the beach of Birmingham? Yeah. Oh, just, you know, wherever. Because it'd be so rich from selling my neckties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in another life, in another life. But aside from hunting, uh, being outdoors, getting into photography, right? Yeah. I want to pick your brain on this idea. And I'm kind of putting your words words in your mouth with this one. But photography, because I've been into photography for years decades really um i always get the struggle of like just seeing a snapshot of something what's your stance on like being in that moment and appreciating what you're in right now like without a camera or even a phone next to you versus in in taking a mental snapshot versus taking an image or a video and living with it forever per se yeah i mean i think that's kind of that's tough because like if i'm out running i'm the person that doesn't want to stop and take a picture right if i'm out hunting I mean, for a lot of reasons, I'm the guy that's not going to like, you know, take this photo. Cause like, I just, I don't know. There's a part of me that still thinks it's like, yeah, that's not what you're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. For whatever reason. The but then the other, yeah. The other part of me is like, like photos that, you know, we have hanging up in here from vacations we've taken her. And I'm like, you look back and you're like, Oh man. But why I like photography is, you know, we talk about, you know, perception and how that kind of determines your reality. Like that's what photography is. I still think it's crazy. And obviously I understand the technology of both film and sensors and everything, but I think it's crazy that you can capture an image. Like I know we're on a, a video yeah. right now, but I think it's insane. If you think about it, they're like, and a lot of people are like, what the hell are you talking about? That's normal. Like you have an image of a, a thing in time on your wall. Right. right. Like that's like crazy to me. And like that more people are like, Oh, and then that's what I saw. You could take the same picture, look totally different. And you 100%. could edit it, look totally different. Like, welcome to humans. That's, I think, why I like photography. It's like, oh, this is what I saw. This is what I want to remember. Here's the thing. Also, I have a pretty good memory for some things. I have terrible, like, time spatial memory. Yeah. Like, terrible. I thought my nephew was, like, five for, like, 10 years. So, <laughs> like, I have to, I think I need photography for long-term memory banking. Just to track so. things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you guys are just listening and not viewing when Botus kind of went off on that, like ultra weird parallel universe <laughs> talk there, he did not take any shrooms before he just rambled there for a second. That was just a genuine thought. 100%. And, uh, those genuine thoughts are well appreciated. So welcome to my world, man. Welcome to your world. Right. I think that that idea of a snapshot translates well into like patient care, right? And like human movement as a whole, like we're just seeing a snapshot and we don't get to see like your five-year-old nephew, like you don't get to see them grow over the mm -hmm. week or over the month that you don't see them. Um, so we just see these little snapshots and we have to appreciate and understand and acknowledge what's happening when we're not seeing them and trust that process too. So. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, uh, I'm sure you've had this happen to you that you you know, you think you get a patient better, right? Like they are doing like, they're literally better. They're dismissed from care. They show up like a year later. I've had this happen numerous times. They show up for something different, right? So maybe they had a shoulder issue that you, and then they show up and they're like, man, my knee's bugging me. And you know, you look at your note and you're like, why's your shoulder? It's still not awesome. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. So like, again, think of photography. If I could take a picture of care, like if I could take that whole thing, what I would do a year from then to work on their shoulder is probably different. Not because I think I failed, like I'm a different person. Right. And that's right. I think that's super interesting that it's like, Oh, I, what, what was I doing a year ago? Like that's no actually wonder. a huge, huge takeaway. We're not just looking at a snapshot of them. We're looking at a snapshot of us. Mm -hmm. Like we only know what we, I know as much as I can right at this moment. And I'm learning more every second I talk to you, but every second I live. Right. 
So hopefully we're different providers every a year from now, right? Hope so. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a very smart one. So I, but I try hard. Right. Um, all right. Last questions. These are the questions that uh, we're going to ask every guest. Uh, Bo opted for not getting a heads up on any of the questions we talked about today. So these will be genuine, raw Bo Beard answers. If you could be ranked top 10 in the world at something, what would it be and why? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have two answers for you. One's just kind of a, a funny one, but I would, if I could make the best breakfast burrito, like be in the top 10 in the nation, I would be, I think I would be a rich man, but I would also be very happy because I would eat a lot of those breakfast burritos. Um, <laughs> if I could be top 10 in anything, I know this. Wait, was that sound... the serious one or was that the joking one? I'll let you decide. Okay. Um, I find that serious. It would be honestly, uh, it would probably be like, I don't think you can rank this. It would be education on how to, which is impossible, like how to get humans to live better, right? Like if somebody's like, dude, this guy is just like anybody he works with touches, like I'm not talking like life coach stuff or anything. I'm like, literally like, you know how to make any human you come in contact with, regardless of their plight better. And I'm not saying pain removal. I'm literally saying like, Oh, you want to do better at your job? Here we go. Cool. Because I look at my job as like a kind of an engineer slash mechanic, like a human's a thing. I work yep. with a human. You have to be really good at working with a human, not joints and muscles and tissues and the brain. And I like, again, I don't know. I don't think that's a chiropractor, right? I don't think that is that exists. So I'm saying if I could be top 10 at that, it would be working with a human to optimize. And you know, that's cliche performance, but like, what do you want to be better at? Like, if I could help you, like now we're all better and now we right. keep like rising the tide and there's a lot of people that are selling that, <laughs> you know, whether you go, whether, you know, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And I try not to be that like, Ooh, here's motivation, you know, like, Oh, rah, rah, do your, you know, what routine. you should do is put your motivational quotes in this, this realm of making people better on your photographs all of like 1990s library photos of <laughs> serenity with like a sunset in the background. I don't, you probably wouldn't make any money or change anybody's life, but you know, Etsy's blowing up right now, man. You haven't been to my office. I mean, that's, that's all it is. It's actually just pictures of me. It's selfies with quotes that I said, it's like the most egotistical or shirtless though, right? Seen. Shirtless. hundred percent. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, socks on or off. Mm, it depends. It really okay. depends okay. if it's cool. uh, you know, cool. portrait or landscape. Yeah. <laughs> Paint me like one of your French girls, right? <laughs> All right. What's one thing you know you can do better and aspire to learn in the next year? Hmm. Um, I'm going to give my wife a uh, kudos on this. She's a hundred percent better than me at like bedside manner. I don't think I'm okay. going to ask anybody, but like I've I never am. seen, <laughs> and I probably am when I need to be uh, appropriately, but I've never seen anybody where like people love her so much that like, and again, this isn't the case. I think she could literally break somebody's ankle adjusting them and they'd be like, that's okay. I think yeah. it's better. And you're like, what the, like, what the yeah. hell? Like, um, so like, if I could learn to be better at that, again, I know that's maybe detracting from what I said earlier of like removing personality, but like, if you can build a rapport with anybody, you can bypass some of their biases or, yeah. you know, preconceived notions. And I, that's a powerful thing. Cause sometimes you do need to like go you know, through that a little more tactfully, I'm just going to barge through it. I'm going to be like, right. Dude, what's, you know, what the hell's going on? Come on. Like let's level here. And a lot of people don't respond well to that. So no. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like I, I'm exactly the same way. I know my bed, my bedside manner is very brash. I'm going to throw it in your face. I'm going to blame you. Like 
I'll, I'll take the blame. Like when I'm, when I'm held liable hundred percent of the time, probably yeah. too much of the time, but I'm a very transparent person. Like if somebody's not doing what, not only like my recommendations, but like not getting it, I'm going to throw it in their face and be like, Hey, this is where we're at. Like, I can't get you. There's, if I could do the reps for you, this is stolen from a different podcast, but if I could do the reps for you, I would, but I can't. Mm-hmm. So, and whether that's actual exercise reps or whether that's reps in life, like I can't do those for you. And yeah, I, it doesn't, it definitely rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Um, but I find it easier to change or to work with the people who it works for versus me changing myself. So when, if you, if you look at brash personalities across, you know, coaches or whatever it is, law, whatever, like you still have to be really, really good at what you're doing. If you want to get away with that. Yeah. So and there, I mean, don't get a, me wrong. Like I hug COVID alone. Like I hug most of my patients. Like yeah. I have a great relationship and I treat them like family, but yeah, just like my family, I'm going to yell at you a little bit sometimes. Yeah. So, um, not my wife. I never yell at her <laughs> ever. Like, I'd get killed. Um, what's one actionable step you would advocate for listeners or viewers to take better care of their relationships, their health, their movement, and their lives. An actionable step that they can do today, tomorrow, weekly. I mean, you know, health and wellness for the most part is getting, you know, like everybody talks about sleep, everybody talks about all that. Like I'm going to pull from what we've talked about a lot. Uh, people's lack of understanding of the world they live in. And I'm going to talk about like nature, the environment is so low. It's not even funny. And then I think that a hundred percent has a trickle down effect of not understanding you, which is a biological organism that lives in that environment. Yeah. So I would, and uh, I can't remember where I heard. Actually, I think it was Steve Renell, which we haven't brought up. So I'm glad I did. Um, that's, uh, that's episode two, Bo. Right. I'm going to have you on again. We're just going to talk about Steve Renella. <laughs> Um, on repeat i think he was saying that when they go on vacations i think this is him when he goes somewhere different he makes his children like you know find three birds that are local to that area or find three plants that are native to that area or you know look for animals because he's like when you're part of that landscape you have a better like appreciation for it but you also feel part of it right and there's a huge huge i mean we could talk we could take this a bunch of different ways a huge disconnect between where people live and like their feeling of belonging and then like mm-hmm. how that manifests. And we're not going to get into, you know, all the political and all that stuff. But like, if I live in Alabama, which is, which I didn't know this is the most biodiverse state in the nation. Right. And I think, Oh, it's just some like down South, you know, redneck yeah. place that they, like, I had no clue. And now knowing like, we're like considered the Amazon of the U S and stuff. It's like, Oh my God. Like, well, guess what? Maybe we should get more people to know this. If you visit Alabama, why isn't that talked about? Why is it like, oh, it's college football and barbecue, right? Like, right. Big right. deal. So I think that would be my one thing is like, you know, however you go about it, get outside. First of all, if you're going someplace different, connect with that outdoor, you know, arena, however you want to, but also like start incorporating other parts of your routine into that. Right. I tell people all the time, if I had the choice of running on a treadmill and running outside, it has nothing to do with fitness. <laughs> right. It's completely like what I get out of running outside. Right. You know? That's probably why you got into trail running too. Right. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> trails are way more beautiful than sidewalks and tracks and highways. Right. I last like two miles on a road, put them on a trail. I can keep going forever. So yeah. I ran a mile and a quarter the other day with, with a 15 pound weighted vest. Um, and I thought I was going to blow up, not physically. I mean, I, I, I actually got home and I didn't even break a sweat and I hadn't ran for like six months. 
Um, I'm built for running, but my brain cannot handle it. Like I've never had the runners high. I don't, I don't get any enjoyment out of running whatsoever. So that's why I bring my two year old with me. And then he just talks about all Besides the lights. Done. Yeah. <laughs> well that too, but like he just points out things at the house. So it kind of keeps my attention, but I thought for sure you're going to say cold showers there, which might also happen to go into uh episode two, but yeah. uh yeah. I mean, I, I was going to do episode two in a cold shower. So don't oh. like, don't, yeah, don't burst. Now, out, for those of you listening, you're going to be watching an episode two, but <laughs> all right, sir, I'm not going to keep you too long. I know you got stuff to get to. Um, so kind of takeaways from the show, keep learning, keep exploring. This goes not only with your passions and your professions and with yourself, but also uh, into the environment and into uh, how we are just a piece of this world. Uh, whether that's eating, moving, breathing, running, everything that Bo talked about. Um, so, sir, thank you, thank you, thank you for, uh, A, rolling with the punches, rescheduled this a few times, uh, but I'm glad we got it figured out, and uh, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. You're killing it. I'm going to I'm gonna have to go listen to all these past episodes and then uh, subscribe and keep listening. You didn't man. subscribe yet? Come on, man. I, Reed, I've been a little busy, man. A little yeah, busy. I was yeah. putting these countertops. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care. You too, man.